Happy 2020 and welcome to the podcast Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney Kelly Halligan Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Morning. Happy New Year. Same to you. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Good morning, Marna, and good morning, Kelly. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Today, our topic is cell phone etiquette. None other than His Holiness the Pope, Pope Francis, has some strong opinions on this topic. On December 29th, the day of the Feast of the Holy Family, he said, I ask myself if your family knows how to communicate, or are you like those kids at meal tables where everyone is chatting on their mobile phone, where there is silence like at a mass? We have to get back to communicating in our families. And in 2015, he said this, A family that almost never eats together, or that never speaks at the table but looks at the television or the smartphone, is hardly a family. And in 2017, commenting on worshippers' behavior in the piazza, he said, At some point, the priest, during Mass, says, Lift up your hearts. He does not say, Lift up your cell phones to take pictures. No, it's a very ugly thing. And finally, in April 2019, he counseled students, When you become a slave to your mobile phones, you will lose your freedom. Phones are for connecting. Life is for communicating. So I like these things that he said. They're they're very simple and very profound. In a 2011 study commissioned by Intel, 92% of U.S. adults surveyed agree that they wish people practiced better etiquette when it comes to using mobile devices in public areas. The number one gripe in the Intel study? Using cell phones while driving in traffic. A big concern of mine, especially since people can't seem to safely merge while talking on cell phones. Also in the top three, not looking where you're going while using your cell phone. We've all seen those YouTube videos of people walking into fountains because they're on their cell phones and talking loudly into your phone. I was just traveling this Christmas and I saw this plenty in airport waiting areas. So it's time for a fearless moral inventory. We're going to talk about a number of totally inexcusable breaches of cell phone etiquette. Are you guilty of any of them? This list came to us from Mike Spore of BuzzFeed.com. The first one is constantly using your phone while having dinner, drinks, or coffee with someone. Have you guys ever experienced this? Oh, Marna. Wow. <laughs> Let's start 2020 with a bang here. With a can of worms. Oh, yeah. Or in my previous profession, as they'd say, you just took the pin out of a hand grenade and rolled it across the floor. Oh, boy. All right, I'll start. So, yes, it is one of my pet peeves. I think it's your specific question, has someone done this, you know, while you're eating, having drinks, uh, having coffee? And absolutely. And where I find it kind of a challenge is with people who are so-called important, all right, or powerful, and they have a very compelling job. And so their job revolves around their device. You know, it's how they stay in touch with their work, whatever that is. And um, I've run across people like this in politics and in government, and they just feel like they always have to be connected. And they will tell you that, you know, like, I'm just going to have to leave my phone here because, you know, if I get a call from my boss, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to interrupt and pick this up later. But what that turns into is a blanket authority to be totally distracted by their phone. And frankly, I just have gotten to the point where, you know, those people aren't that much fun to hang out with anymore. I just don't, I don't appreciate it. 
I don't like it. I'll cut somebody a little slack if there's like a really a potentially big thing about to happen. But I really think it's uh, diminished the quality of our inter- interaction across society. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, are you ever really off duty? Like if you're constantly answering the phone during your lunch hour? Well, in preparation for this, I went online and I, out of sort of idle interest, I said, let's look up unplugged vacations. And sure enough, you type in those words into a search and it you just get a page, multiple pages full of unplugged vacations. So clearly people see it as something which is diminishing their lives and they have to, it's like an antidote. I'm going to go on an unplugged vacation. Some people can do it. Some people can't because of the nature of their work. It's something we got to deal with. Kelly, did you have something? Well, I was just going to say from having younger children, it's actually called fubbing. Um, oh, yeah. I pronounced it correctly, <laughs> which is short for phone snubbing. So that's somebody that keeps checking their phone and texts while you're trying to talk or have dinner or coffee or, or whatnot. And it's, it's a problem. I'd like to talk about it more as we get into more examples in your list, Marna, but it's an addiction. And the phone has been developed by engineers to cause individuals to become addicted and reliant on the phone. It changes your brain. Well, even I, 56-year-old woman, I mean, how many years did we live without cell phones? At least maybe 35. And I freak out if I accidentally leave my phone at home on the charger and I'm out running errands. It changes your brain. You become reliant on it. It causes you to keep having to look at it. I mean, the apps are developed in such a way where you want more. You know, what some of the reading I did said that the apps were developed like slot machines to constantly cause you to come back. Something exciting could happen at any time. I've got to know what it is. I got to mm-hmm. I got to go see. So that plays into our fear of missing out. Exactly. All right, the next one is talking on the phone while at a movie or a play. That's just rude. Yeah, that's a hard foul. And I think, (laughs) no, really. I mean, I think now every single movie has a, you know, right after they try to tempt you to go out and buy soft drinks and popcorn, they say, please turn off your cell phones. And some of these movie theaters have very ingenious ways of doing it. They have like a little... 30-second scenario where some guy's talking on his phone in the in the movie and, and everybody's yelling at him or throwing popcorn at him. So they make it very, very apparent that that's off limits. You know, I was just in New York the other day and went to a play on Broadway, and they are very deliberate about it. They take a moment, someone comes out, at least in this case, someone came out and said, now please turn your cell phones off or put them on silent. Make sure they don't light up during the show. And under no circumstances can you take pictures or film the uh, presentation. So I think that's a hard foul. Yeah. And I do appreciate the reminders at the beginning of performances and lectures. And I've even seen them do it at some churches. Yeah, they definitely, you know, at the beginning of Mass, they they always state that. It's just, if you feel like you have to text while you're at a movie or a play, don't go. I mean, just don't go. Just sit at home by yourself and text. And it's the same thing with meeting somebody for coffee or dinner or drinks. I mean, the idea is to interact and communicate and be around and appreciate another person. I mean, if you can't do that, that's when you know you have a problem. Because you're never fully there. No, you're not. You're not really present. This happened to me at a play once. The gal in the row in front of me was texting all during the play. And some people think that that's not offensive because it's quiet and there's no talking. But the light was such a bother to me in the dark theater that I finally said to her, excuse me, would you turn off that light? 
because it's very distracting. And of course, once you turn off the light, you can't text anymore. So that took care of that. Yeah. Again, that's where we have to do a better job to let people know kind of what the guidelines are in society. And I think it's it's not that I'm some cell phone hardliner. It's just that there are certain things which if we all did them a little better, we'd have a much more functional society and much happier people in it. You know, what Kelly said a minute ago is it's ringing in my head here. Just stay home and don't go to the event if you can't manage to not text during the event, whatever that might be. (laughs) And very frankly, there's a lot of people who've taken that option. I used to work quite a bit in Japan, and the Japanese lament having an entire generation of, yes, I'll say it, young men who have decided that they are going to unplug from broader society. Maybe they've not decided, but it's in fact what they've done. They've unplugged from broader society, and they literally live online. And they're not interested in, and they often live because it's Japan and and housing is so expensive. They live with their parents. You literally have that guy in his underwear in his 30s in the basement, you know, the sort of thing we talk about in this country, who's just texting and playing video games all day. And the Japanese are, I mean, they have a demographic problem to begin with. It's a big, big deal. So what do we do to fix that? That's a very sad state of affairs. Yeah. That, that is. But I do think, I think people know better. I do think they know. They just don't care. You know, everybody just is like, oh, I can do it this one time. You know, this is a special situation. And, and then before you know it, you're addicted? Yeah, or you're, you're acting rudely. You're texting during a movie because, well, it's an exception because you need to find out X and Y about, you know, this and that. And, you know, you're just not behaving appropriately, but you, you know, you excuse yourself. I mean, I think people know what's proper and appropriate behavior generally, and they just choose not to engage in it. And maybe we as a society are not making them be accountable? I'm not sure how you make people accountable. I, I, I'm i not sure what you do. What Are you going to have the cell phone police? I mean... <laughs> Well, I I was going to say, if you're at a movie or a theater and somebody's on their phone, if you're not comfortable asking them to turn it off, you can go get the usher and ask them to do it. Yeah, that's definitely a good good solution and the same thing at a play. But, you know, like... there's so many people that are kind of crazy. I don't want to get into it with somebody in the airport or in the seat next to me who keeps talking on his phone and won't stop. I mean, I was on a flight in December where there was a gentleman, you know, they had given the instruction to put your devices into airplane mode and he continued to speak on his phone. And, you know, you could hear him within three or four rows and the stewardess came right over and boy, she didn't, I thought she was a little aggressive, but I, after hearing it, I thought this poor woman probably has to deal with this all the time. She was like, you've been told to turn off your cell phone. If you don't turn it off, we will turn the plane around and go back to the gate. Oh, wow. I was like, holy cow. Hard wow. hitter. And, all right. Yeah, like, can we start with something a little bit? You know, <laughs> hung the phone up immediately. Because she was just like, you've been told. like, And it wasn't like he had been given an individual warning. But in any event, people know and they just... They just continue. I can see 20 years from now, people looking back and saying, you know, like what we know about smoking. Everybody knows how damaging smoking is to your health. I think in 15 or 20 years, people are going to look back and cell phone use will be the smoking of a generation. It's that damaging. Good point. The next one, this used to happen all the time. I used to work at a bookstore. And this would happen when I was working the cash register. Talking on the phone while you order at a restaurant or while you check out at a store. People would be carrying on conversations as they're trying to check out. Now I notice a lot of signs around here that say, we'll be glad to help you after you finish your cell phone call. 
Yeah, that flies in the face of something we've talked about before, which is the customer's always right. Well, I think we could do a show on that. Exception here, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I I think there's a principle here, and if we could just help people to think about it a little more, and maybe connect with some young people who are shaping their own habits early in life. But if you're going to be with a human being, if you're going to interact in some way which has meaning, whether it's a transaction at a cash register or a dinner or a date or Maybe you're just in receive mode and you're at a movie or a play, but you're interacting with human beings. You ought to take the device, and I I think we should expand it out of just the phone domain, and I can get back into that a little later, but take the device out of the equation and focus on whatever it is that's happening that's very human right in front of you. Um, Because I totally agree with Kelly. I think we're going to look back at this and we're going to go, oh my, you know, we thought we were becoming better connected as a society. We thought we were going to alleviate these issues of loneliness and isolation, and we were going to help with education and do all this stuff. And very frankly, those tools can be can be very effective in each of those areas if properly used, but they are addictive and they're compelling and they're, they appeal to some of the worst instincts in people. We're, we're on a slippery slope right now with devices. I agree with you. It's just like what the Pope said, don't become a slave to your mobile phone. You're the master. Speaking of a slippery slope, probably the lowest point on the slippery slope, using your cell phone in the bathroom. That's just gross. <laughs> But all the studies show, like, when they look at bacteria and dirt, the dirtiest thing is your phone. And then what is it? The, you know, the, the TV control, the remote. Oh, yeah. We call it the flicker. <laughs> That's the second dirtiest thing. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's not very cleanly. But, I mean, if people want to use their cell phone in the bathroom, I guess, okay. You're not hurting anybody. It's not a, you know, unlike these other situations where you're really either disturbing others or failing to be present and receptive and caring towards another individual that you agreed to spend time with. Well, I've certainly heard people talking on their cell phones in the stalls in women's restrooms. Well, we don't have urinals in women's restrooms. I would think that that would be the height of multitasking at a urinal. Yeah, it really is. We don't know that we need to get into all those details, but yeah, I mean, that's quite a de- dexterity challenge. You know, we'll, I think we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, so, we'll just leave that. Sake, okay, on to the next sake one. Of some of our listeners who are probably turning us off right now. Okay. Before this gets too bad, let's go on to the next one. Playing games, movies, or videos in public with the sound on and without any kind of earphone device. I saw this on the plane this Christmas. A parent put his par- his child in the seat with uh, a tablet and played a video for him with uh, no earphones or anything. The sound was quite loud in the plane. I did go back and speak to the flight attendant, and she came up with a set of earphones and gave it to the parent. And after that, it was quiet. Good for you. I yeah, just nice work, there. Marna. But the whole idea that these devices have become surrogate parents or they've become electronic babysitters, you know, and a Mm -hmm. lot of parents, uh, young parents who are, you know, I mean, we've, we've all been, we've all been young parents. We've had young kids and, you know, it's, it's a soup. It's very challenging. And the kids sometimes are driving you nuts. And, and, and so these things, especially, you know, I think the iPad is first among them. You know, they're great ways to distract kids, but what what are you doing to your kid? If every time they get stressed, if every time they become bored or fussy, something is dropped in their lap that's very engaging and compelling. 
again, as Kelly has said a couple times, I mean, it rewires your brain. And so what are they going to, what patterns are they going to carry forward into adulthood? You know, every time they get stressed, every time they get bored, they're just going to flip on a device. Yeah, it's hard to know the long-term effects. But one thing for sure, tech innovators like Steve Jobs, he never gave an iPad to his children. Never. I mean, the people that develop these tools and devices, they delay sharing them with their family or making them available to their family. You know, I read that Steve Jobs never allowed his children to use iPads. And also that Bill Gates only allowed his children to have a cell phone when they were 14. Wow. 14, no earlier, because I think Mm -hmm. they understood the impact. Well, it's, Mike, you said it's stimulating, but it's stimulating in a two-dimensional passive kind of way. Right. Yeah. Certainly not training them in in the art of human interaction, conversation, eye contact, body language. Creativity. I I mean, it's somewhere in, in your materials today, Marnie, you discussed that. You know, are we raising a generation of people who don't know how to make eye contact, who don't know how to use body language, who don't know how to interact effectively with others unless there's a device involved? Yeah. Sounds like a Black Mirror episode. Have you guys watched any of those? No. They're disturbing. I don't even know what what you mean, Marna. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah Marna, fill us in. You have to show how clueless apparently Of course, I am. my kids are the ones who told me about this, and it's not exactly science fiction. It's speculative. I think it's on Netflix. It's just taking technology potentiality just a little bit further than we have it now into a really scary dimension. And I watched a couple episodes with my kids, and I, I think after the third episode, I said, turn it off. I cannot take another episode. This is too disturbing. It's like 1984. On, on <laughs> yeah, kind of. So the next one is... Swiping through someone's cell phone pictures without asking. You hand your cell phone to somebody and, you know, here's a picture of my daughter's wedding or what have you. And the next thing you know, they're swiping through all your pictures. Kind of rude. Yeah. That's kind of, <laughs> of course, it depends on who it is. That's pretty bold. And if we're at that level or people think that's okay, then, yeah, they missed, they missed part of the memo. So. It's private. The other day, a friend of mine wanted to show me pictures of his grandson. He had a specific picture in mind, and he was kind of swiping around on his phone. And he found the picture and showed it to me. And I oohed and awed. And then I said, hey, would you mind if I looked at these other pictures too? And he said, yeah, sure, fine. But I asked him first, and he said yes. And then I you know, swiped through and looked at the rest of the pictures of his grandson. Uh, next one, talking on the phone the entire time someone gives you a ride. Generally speaking, just talking on your cell phone when you're in a car with one or more people is insensitive and rude, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I I grapple with this with my children when we just came off the Christmas holidays, and there clearly is a different standard of conduct. To them, it's perfectly normal, especially my my younger kids, because I think they were right at that moment when this was much more of a formative thing for them. I don't believe any of them got smartphones until they were well into high school, but still just the whole environment and atmosphere they were in, in middle school and high school for my younger boys was far more tech focused and tech reliant than for my older kids. And I notice a distinct difference between the older two and the younger two. So the younger two think nothing of completely dropping into their device while they're in the same room, in a car. It's just not seen as rude on their part. Well, the problem with that, and also with the next one, I'll go ahead and bring that in, not excusing yourself from the table to take a phone call, but just taking it at the table is that it hijacks the atmosphere and the space where you are because you're having a loud conversation. And it also says to the people around you, 
that they're not important. Yeah, it does. This other thing is more important. It's almost dismissive of the people that you are with. It is dismissive. Not long ago, we had to take a family member to the airport, which was about an hour away, and we hadn't had much chance to visit with this family member. So there were three of us who opted to take her to the airport so that we could visit with her for about an hour. And instead of visiting with us, she sat in the back seat of the car and talked on her phone the entire time. I was just beside myself. <laughs> <laughs> so how old was this gal? She was about 10 years younger than me. So okay. she was in her 40s. Wow. Okay. Did she say anything? No, not specifically. When she was between phone calls, I tried to engage her in conversation, but it didn't last very long. Did she apologize or kind of comment on what she was doing? Like, oh, sorry, I have to, you know, blah, blah, blah or something? No, Kelly, I don't think she realized what she was doing was rude, which I thought was very interesting. Because I definitely have, and probably we all have, I mean, I definitely have taken a call in a car or even at a table, then you acknowledge, yeah. you know, like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to take this. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, go ahead, you know, and uh, they, they understand. I think the most concerning thing is she didn't seem to recognize that it wasn't appropriate. Yeah, that is concerning. So, Marna, let me ask a question. Does that behavior on the part of your relative, is that reflected in the way she handles, you know, her relationships with uh, the rest of the family? Is, this, is she, in other words, a kind of self-centered, perhaps even rude person? Yes. Well, she also has a job where she's on the road a lot. And so that idea of talking on the phone where you're all throughout your day, wherever you are, comes kind of natural to her. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's to her. It's just like being present. But the problem is that she's got <laughs> all these other people that were in the car with her yeah. that are her family. So, yeah, it's just yeah, a little strange. Yeah, it was a little hurtful. The next one is also very similar taking a call while watching TV with someone and not leaving the room. So once again, hijacking the space with your cell phone call. Yeah, that's just, that's the theater of the play, except in your living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That one's easy. I just say, hey, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching a TV show. Leave. <laughs> but that's easy to oh. do in your own home, right? And if it's one of your kids, which is usually the situation. And then the last one is having speakerphone conversations in public, two-way conversations. That's just somebody who is really self-centered mm-hmm. <laughs> and is completely unaware yeah. of their impact on others. Now, I don't mind it, like in an airport, if you move away to uh, an uncrowded area and have your speakerphone conversation over there, but right there in the midst of everybody, I mean, I have to, I have no bones about just sitting there right next to them, not even hiding the fact that I'm eavesdropping. Hey, you're going to yeah. talk? I'm going to listen. Yeah, I have no idea why somebody would want to be having other people listen yeah. to their business. I used to wonder why it was so disruptive to hear people talking on a cell phone when it wasn't disruptive for two people sitting next to me to be having a conversation. And then I read a study by a school in, I think it was upstate New York, that hearing a one-way conversation is really much more disruptive to a human being than a two-way conversation because it's jarring. You keep expecting that second person to chime in and, and it never happens. So we have a hard time tuning it out. Yeah, that's very interesting. I never, never thought of that. So that would not apply when that person next to you is on speakerphone, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That's why you're just like, okay, I'm going to listen. Except it's so loud. <laughs> well, I know you're done with your list, Marna. I did want to add 
this wasn't on the list, but I think it's something worth bringing up and, and perhaps just very obvious. But as far as cell phone use, I think people have to be really careful about using the phone at all while driving. I know we're all guilty of this at times, but I would encourage everybody to be very familiar with their state laws with regard to cell phone use and particularly texting while driving. The National Conference of State Legislatures, maybe we can put it up on the website, Marna. Sure. Um, ncsl.org does a great job of setting forth laws in various states and uh, keeping you apprised of what's going on in various state legislatures. And they do a really good job of a state-by-state summary of enacted cell phone legislation. They'll list the state. Is there a handheld ban? Is there an all-cell phone ban, texting ban? How is it enforced? And then do they have crash data collection information? I would just encourage people to try not to talk while they drive. And obviously texting while driving is just deadly. And there's been some horrific accidents. Um, It's a safety hazard for sure. Oh, it's worse than, I mean, all the studies show it's worse than driving with like three times the legal limit. Yeah, it's true. It's It's worse than driving drunk or or intoxicated. There is one more item on the list, which I didn't tell you about. I'm going to spring it on you at the last minute. Taking pictures with your cell phone. You should always ask first. And again, you get into various laws when it comes to taking photographs, right? Especially young people have gotten into trouble, you know, taking pictures of people without their knowledge or in various states of undress, which maybe the person didn't think it was inappropriate, but it was. I mean, there have been some terrible incidences. One I remember was of like an elderly woman in a locker room, like a YMCA locker room and you know, some 30-year-old thought the person was very unattractive or, you know, was kind of funny looking. And so she took photos of her and sent them out, kind of making fun of the woman. And she ended up being criminally prosecuted, as she should have. That was horrible. Convicted, And so you just have to be so mindful. And it's the same thing with recording conversations. There are laws with regard to recording conversations in various states, and you have to be familiar with them. In many states, you can't record a conversation without the other party's consent. You're looking for final comments, Marna. There's one thing I haven't brought up, which I think is worthy of mention, and that's the whole, we've talked about cell phones, we've talked a little bit about iPads, but a year ago I got an Apple Watch. That's just, that may be another topic we want to cover on another day, but that adds a whole new level of complexity to this thing, because all of a sudden, in a very subtle way that only you know, your phone calls come in and your text messages and whatever else you trigger your Apple Watch to record or to um, to react to. And it, it's something I've had trouble working with. I think I've sort of figured out cell phone etiquette, but Apple Watch etiquette is is, a, is, is another layer of complexity. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's very distracting. I sometimes wonder if, if it's value-added in my life. No, really. There's a certain yeah. convenience and there's certain really cool items. It's you know, back to Kelly's thought on that these app developers are trying to draw us in, and they've certainly done a good job with me on some of these Apple Watch features. It's yeah. a challenge to figure out where it fits in your life, and how do I use this thing to make my life better and make the lives of those around me better and not be rude or somehow diminish the experience of living. Right. Well, it's back to using it as a tool and not letting it be a master. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, because really the phones and the watches are amazing, and they, they do so much to enhance our lives if used properly. 
And, and that's really the key, right? Otherwise, the use impacts our attention, which, which I think is fine, but we need to make a broader decision about how we want to spend our lives. Do we want to spend our lives looking at a phone all the time? Right. A couple other things that I wanted to mention is there's a great book, and I decided to order it today. <laughs> it's called How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's by oh, Catherine wow. Price. She's a health journalist, and I read a couple of reviews. It sounds fabulous and fascinating. And it's not encouraging you to totally give up on your iPhone. It's like a, a reset. It's sort of a 30-day reset to bring a user to moderation. And it, it talks about all the, you know, the things that a phone does to you, how it alters your brain, how it impacts your ability to concentrate and remember things. And I guess it has to do with these frequent bursts of focused distraction. And that's why people, you know, aren't as focused and aren't able to sit down and concentrate on a task for a couple of hours. Another article related to it in the New York Times, and I'll ask uh, Marna to post this as well, is called uh, Do Not Disturb, How I Ditched My Phone and Unbroke My Brain. And uh, <laughs> oh, it's a great good. article. Yeah, it's, it's from February of 2019. And uh, that's what I think is really good about the book as well. It's from 2019. So it's very recent. And the article, um, it's cute and it's concerning, you know, like this is just kind of a normal guy. And by reading the book and, you know, there's even apps that help you realize how much you're picking up your phone, how much you're using it, how much time you're spending on it. You know, on average, we all spend about three hours on our phone wow. every day. Wow. That's amazing. I do have one of those apps on my phone. And whenever I check it, I'm shocked. Yeah, I mean, this guy was like six hours a day, and he described how he picked up his, you know, I think it started out like, hello, my name is Kevin. <laughs> I'm a phone addict or something. Uh, <laughs> it was very cute. Uh, uh, but it, it's sort of self-deprecating, but I just enjoyed the article and, and did a really good job of describing how he changed his habits and how it impacted his relationship with his wife and just his life. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's good great. suggestions. Those are too good. Two good ideas. Yeah. All right. We've talked about cell phone offenses. We'll be right back after this short break with some suggestions for improving your cell phone etiquette. Welcome back. We're talking about cell phone etiquette today and offering a few helpful reminders to you. In the Intel study I mentioned earlier, roughly one in five adults admits to poor mobile behavior but continues the behavior because, quote, everyone else is doing it. The survey revealed that U.S. adults see an average of five mobile offenses every day, and top mobile pet peeves remain unchanged from Intel's first examination of the state of mobile etiquette in 2009. I think they remain unchanged today as well. Given that there seems to be this peer pressure reinforcement of bad habits, and dare I say it, modeling of bad habits, can we start now to reverse the trend? Anna Post of the Emily Post Institute offers five general guidelines for cell phone etiquette. The first one is practice what you preach. If you don't like others' bad behavior, don't engage in it. Oh, I think this can apply to far more than just cell phones in life. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I support yeah. it fully. Yeah, so talking on the phone when you're in the car, driving, just don't even do that. Personally, I will pull over to the side of the road or in a parking lot. Number two is be present. Give your full attention to those you are with, such as when in a meeting or on a date. No matter how well you think you multitask, 
you'll make a better impression. Now, this is really deeply philosophical at its heart, and it's what the Pope is talking about, too. And it's what I remind myself to do all the time. The gift of your full attention to the given moment, to the person you're with, and to the social cues, it's such a powerful gift to give to the person you're with and to yourself because you're making vivid memories. So don't miss the moment. Stay present. Yeah, it's hard to say that any better than that, Marnie. Number three, the small moments matter. Before making a call, texting, or emailing in public, consider if your actions will impact others around you. If they will, reconsider, wait, or move away first. Good practical advice. Common courtesy. Yeah, it's not that hard. Number four, Talk with your family, friends, and colleagues about ground rules for mobile device usage during personal time together. For example, there's something called the cell phone stack. I've seen pictures of that on the internet. When you're out to dinner with friends, everybody stacks their cell phones in the middle of the table. And the first person to to reach for it, to answer it, or text has to pick up the check for everybody. Whoa. <laughs> I love that right. idea. So economic incentive. <laughs> the stakes are high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Tough. That's great. I mean, communication is always... The key. It's something we can work on in my house, I know. There are people I know, not a lot, but they have a basket, and when the kids come in the house, the phone goes in the basket. You know, that can be difficult because I know, you know, my youngest FaceTimes with friends to study and to go over homework. There's just a lot of school-related work that is handled that way. Well, I think at a minimum, no cell phones at the dinner table. Agreed. Yeah, I tell you, I give great credit to my wife because uh, if a kid dared to bring a cell phone to the table, or if even worse, they like had it down on the bench beside them, you know, where they could feel it buzzing in and they were distracted by that during a meal, man, they got it with both barrels. Hopefully that yeah. has helped. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. What about you? Do you have a suggestion or comment about cell phone etiquette? Leave us a comment or a voicemail. You can do both at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. And I will post links to the books and articles that we talked about today. If you want to support what we're doing, please recommend our podcast to your friends and family members. And leave a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us this week, and please join us again next week for an all-new episode. See you then.